We conclude this morning our series on our wisdom trek, that journey toward the treasure that God has called us to pursue, the treasure being wisdom. Uh, And we have been talking about all different aspects of this journey. We've been talking about the fact that there is a map toward it. It is God's word. We have guides uh, in life and in the Lord himself to help us read that map and follow the paths to wisdom. Uh, We have the call to take the steadfast love that we have received from the Lord and extend that love to those who are traveling with us. We're not traveling alone toward wisdom. We're traveling in company with others. And we want that company to be tight, loving, and loyal. And so uh, we've talked about that. We've talked about the fact that uh, as we journey, we need to inspect our equipment and make sure that we're not overconfident in what we're doing. Uh, We also need places to stop and heal from the, the trials of this journey. There are times in this journey where we need to experience healing and a renewal even physically from the Lord as uh, we are on this journey. All of these things we have talked about and what we're going to talk about this morning is an invitation to get on board. Let's start. It is uh, that whistle call, if you will, that invites everyone to get on the train because it is leaving the station. And so we are going to talk about that this morning. We are going to look at two invitations, two calls to board. But the trains are different. The routes are different. And the end points where we arrive and disembark are complete opposites. One train is headed to life. The other train is headed to death. One train is the train that takes us through a life of wisdom. The other train is the train that continues us on the direction of folly. And so the question before us this morning is, can we tell the difference between these two boarding calls? This has never happened to me, but uh, I've always kind of dreaded getting on an airplane with my ticket and expecting to go to Chicago and ending up in, I don't know, Cancun? (laughs) Well, maybe that wouldn't be so bad, actually, (laughs) depending on the time of year. But uh, that would be the airline's mistake, not mine. Uh, But uh, you, you do all of these checks to make sure that you are going where you think you're going. Sometimes we get on planes and we go one direction and our baggage goes another. And uh, so all of these checks are necessary. What we're going to hear and study this morning is how we have a decision to make before we even get on that train and start this journey to wisdom. We need to ask whether we recognize where the train is going and what that boarding call is really summoning us to. We're going to talk about a comparison of the two invitations, uh, one from the woman of wisdom, the other from the woman of folly in Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to compare these two invitations. We're going to find them pretty similar, 
in a lot of ways. Then we're going to talk about ways to discriminate between these two invitations. How do you know what you're hearing and how can you tell the difference? And then we'll ask some questions of evaluation. Before we dive in this morning, young people, I want to enlist you in uh, helping to preach this sermon. Not so much this morning, but throughout this week. You see a, a picture of a whistle on a train kind of calling out, All aboard! Young people, children, I would like you to draw me a picture, find me a GIF on the internet, if you're into that kind of thing, that says to you, all aboard. Uh, And find that, send that to me, send me your picture that you draw, send me the GIF that you find, or the image, or the demotivational poster, if you're a sarcastic type, whatever it may be. Send it to me, either email, that's on the uh, back page of the bulletin, Uh, put it on my wall on Facebook, and I'm going to share that throughout this week. And here's why. Old people forget stuff. And so the minute we're done with this sermon, all of these wonderful words from the Scriptures and my tremendously deep insight, it's all going to go into people's head, and they're going to walk out the door, and it's going to leak. And they're going to forget all about it by the time they get done with lunch. Here's where I need your help. I want you to send out that all-aboard call throughout this week. So I'm going to share this every single day on Facebook. If I get enough of them, I'll share it several times a day so that on social media, that call will be going out. Everybody, the trains are waiting, the whistle is blowing, wisdom is calling. Are you getting aboard? Because we need to remember this. So draw me a picture, send me something, and I'll use it to remind everyone of uh, this call so that we don't forget. Okay, let's dive in. There are two invitations in this passage that Paul read for us earlier in the service. The first invitation comes from the woman of wisdom. Both invitations come from women, and uh, as we're going to see, they're very similar. Here's what wisdom does. Uh, Proverbs 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Uh, There's a picture here of uh, wisdom as a woman building a vast mansion to receive people. And this, this mansion has massive pillars that make it structurally sound, that make it the vast place to receive large numbers of people that it needs to be. And uh, the Solomon here in this, in this uh, song lyric that he is writing here, he is saying to us, that mansion is there, right in the center of everything that we are doing. Wisdom has built it. The doors are open. And the minute you get a glimpse of this place, you're going to want to go inside. You're going to be drawn to it. It's monumental. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. So inside this palace that wisdom has built is a feast. It's good food. She has prepared this feast elaborately. She has put together the whole 
the whole, all of the courses of the meal. She's slaughtered all the beasts. She's butchered them. They're being cooked. She's mixed her wine, and she's got it all laid out. The table is beautiful. It is decorated. It is all arrayed out there for us. And so, obviously, she is preparing a vast occasion here, a feast, a celebration of the life that she is building. Now, I just want you to pause right here and address that inner Puritan inside of you who is saying, no, no, this is wrong. Wisdom does not throw parties. That's not how this works. Wisdom is somber. Wisdom is always serious. And she just doesn't throw feasts like this. And she especially does not mix wine. Because everything is to be completely sober, above board, and serious. This is not a true picture of wisdom. Well, I need you to reach inside yourself and hit the mute button on that inner Puritan. Because there are deeply untrue things that we have taken away from the scriptures about the significance of wisdom in our lives. And we're going to see this as we go on. Wisdom here, says Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God and by his authority, without any error or misdirection whatsoever is telling us, there is a vast, joyful feast waiting for you. And the doors are open to you for this feast. And the call is going out. Verse 3. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. So you got a picture at a certain moment from the front doors of this palace emerge all of these Young women going out to different parts of town, the most prominent parts of town, the busiest places in town, the marketplace, the city gates, the courts, the city council chambers. Uh, Every place you can go where people are congregated, wisdom's young women go out and they give this call. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Come with us. If you don't know what to do, if you recognize that you've got a naivete in you that needs to be instructed and built up and given wisdom, if you want to leave a life where you're constantly being brought up short, unprepared, and doing dangerous things just because you're, you're, you've not been instructed in this. If that's you, turn in here. Come with us. Because we have a very boring class for you. It has PowerPoint and there are bullet points in our class. And we will break it down for you. And we will give you instructions and homework. Is this what this is an invitation to? No. It's a feast. Come to the feast. Enjoy what wisdom has prepared for your enrichment, for your pleasure, for your 
good in every sense of the word. That's the invitation. Verse 4 again. To him who lacks sense. Who is that person? Well, that's me. That's the person who lacks that sense of direction and needs to be pointed what the right direction is. Who lacks the information he needs and needs to be given that information. Who lacks the ability to discriminate between right and wrong. The person who lacks sense, to him, she says, come. Eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. It's different from the stuff you're used to. It's not the same as other parties you've been to. Come eat this. Receive this from me. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Now, in each one of us, there are two kinds of people. And uh, inside of us, there is one person who says, I really need this. I need insight, and I don't have it. There's stuff happening in my life. There's stuff happening in this world. There's stuff happening, happening in my business affairs, in my relationships, that I do not understand. I can't get my hands around it. Just when I think I've got it, life shows me I haven't got it that I don't have sense, that, that I need this insight, and so I want to go to this feast. That's one person inside of each one of us. Inside of each one of us is another person who says, I got this. I don't need your help. I don't need to be called simple. I don't need to be demeaned by you saying that I lack sense. Because I got sense. I got all the sense I need, and I can handle whatever life throws at me. There's, there's that person who is admitting the need, and then there's the person who's bluffing. And these two people are inside each one of us. And that's part of what makes uh, this invitation here so complicated, is that uh, this passage, Proverbs chapter 9 is showing us these two invitations to kind of show us inside our souls where these two characters are and to tell us what we need to do with these two characters, who we need to listen to, how we need to make this decision. So here's one invitation um, from the woman of wisdom. It is very public. It is open to everyone. Everyone, anyone who is simple, anyone who lacks sense, if you're in trouble, whatever you may be, come to the palace and eat at this feast. It is not only good for you, it will enrich your spirit. It will give you pleasure. It is very striking to me that... Uh, Throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom is constantly holding out her hand, offering pleasure to the simple. Saying, in effect, to us, 
I know the pleasures you think you're getting from what you're doing. Let me give you the real thing. Here's what it is. Let me make kind of a radical assertion here. Walking with God, living the Christian life, learning His ways, is founded, ultimately, on a pleasure principle. You come to know and love God for who He is. You come to see His grace. You come to see how His strength works in your life and how He carries you through things. You experience the richness of a life lived in a company of people who are loyal to each other. And you come away saying, this is good. This is strong. This is healthy. You go through those places where you say, I need space to heal here. And and you realize the Lord is healing me. He is pouring out grace and He is restoring my spirit. He's restoring even my body. He is renewing my strength just as He promised This is good. He is restoring pleasure and health to my life. And so you start to get introduced to the Lord in this way, and you want more. As with all pleasure, when we experience it, we have that mixture of satisfaction, contentment, and then we want more, more of God, more of His love, more of His wisdom. More insight. It's good. It's enriching. Give me more of it. Where's the next appointment that I have with wisdom? How can I gain more of God? Because He is so good. Typically, when we think of the Christian life, we think of it uh, in operating on a punishment principle. You do what is wrong. You feel good and bad about that. And that guilt feeling weighs upon you. And that, that guilt is the motivator that drives you to pursue God. Anyone identifying with this? Listen. If guilt and failure are the things driving you to seek God this morning then on the, on the authority of the Scriptures, I'm inviting, inviting you to switch motivations. I'm inviting you to pursue God because of His goodness, because of His grace. Pursuing God because He gives freely and liberally to all who ask. Pursue Him. He will give to you. This is an open invitation. He's not inviting you to um, a kind of small, claustrophobic, dumpy place. He's inviting you to the palace of His goodness. And He has enough for you and He has the generous will to uphold you and do good in your life. So that's one invitation. Here's the second invitation. Drop down to verse 13. This invitation is from another woman. This woman is not wisdom. This is the opposite woman. Her name is Folly. The woman Folly is loud. 
Now, here's what I find interesting about this. Wisdom, the woman wisdom is is big and commanding in a in a in a powerful way. The woman folly is small, insinuating and manipulative. And she doesn't have the power that wisdom has, and so she's bluffing. She's loud. The way she gets your attention is by yelling, making a lot of noise, a lot of racket. The English Standard Version says the woman folly is loud. She is seductive. I puzzle over this, um, trying to think what the ESV is, is getting at here. Because literally, this is saying she's full of simplicity. And that's not a good thing in Proverbs. Uh, in Proverbs, the simple, uh, you, you can read that as naive um, and um, easy prey. And part of what's going on with this woman is that she's pulling out what is um, simple, naive, uh, the, the things that make her an easy mark. She's pulling that out and she's showing that to you to hook you and get you in for the party that she is throwing. So this isn't necessarily like uh, seductive in the sense that we would think of it sexually. This is more seductive in the sense of advertising. In fact, advertising fits this pretty well. Did you know, somebody told me once uh, that the advertising on broadcast television is put out there at the same volume as the loudest noise in the TV program that you're watching. So, if you're watching... Okay, the A-team just came to mind. I don't know why. (laughs) But it's there. If you're watching the A-team, there's all these explosions going on. There are a few conversations, but it's mostly explosions with some dialogue thrown in. The ads are going to come at you at the volume of the explosions, not the conversation. Why? Because loud sells. That's why the used car salesman is yelling at you when, when he is uh, uh, promoting his, his business. And uh, so this woman is loud. She is putting out there a message kind of like, I'm just like you. We're together, and you're just like me. So why don't you come with me? And that's the whole secret of advertising um, uh, in, in a certain philosophy. So here she is. She is full of simplicity, and there's a kind of insinuation, manipulation, seduction going on in that simplicity. And she knows nothing. She doesn't have any skills, doesn't have anything really to offer you. She's not going to help you. But what she's offering you is a great party. She sits at the door of her house, verse 14. 
Um, there's a sense of lethargy, sloth here, where the picture of the woman wisdom, she's building this house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She was down at the quarry, hewing out this rock. This woman's just sitting at the door of her house. Uh, because you know, there's, it doesn't have anywhere particularly to be, but she does get out there too. She takes a seat on the highest places in the town. She's out in public, but she's always sitting. She's not doing anything. She's not producing anything. She's not adding value to anything. She's taking. So there she is, sitting and calling to all those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Get that picture of verse 15. There are people who have things to do, and they're busy in the town going about their business and doing their stuff, doing what they have been called to do, what they're being paid to do, whatever it may be. They're going on their way, and folly is just sitting there. Folly is not engaged in any of that business, not uh, adding value to any of it. She has nothing to sell because she has nothing to give. She's just sitting there calling and saying, Hey, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Where have we heard that before? Verse 4, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Hang on. The woman wisdom is saying, word for word, mind you, exactly the same thing as the woman folly. Same message. And they're both out there in public. These are very different messages. Because when wisdom says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Wisdom is saying, leave what you're doing and embrace what I am doing. The... The woman folly is saying, whoever is simple like me, you don't need to leave your simplicity, just follow me. Let's go be simple together. Let's do our thing. Because there's nothing wrong with it. And here's where she uh, gets some of that insinuation that I was talking about. Uh, And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You know, if you can have that little secret pleasure with me, it's going to be all the more fun because it's forbidden. All you got to do is just cross these lines and come be simple with me and we'll have a good time. So, Uh, You have two invitations here, both given by women in this song that Solomon is writing here. And both of these women are out in public. They're both throwing a party of sorts. And they're both giving an identical invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. But the meaning of those words is the opposite In each case, same words, opposite intent. Wisdom is saying, leave your simplicity. Folly is saying, just be simple. 
Be yourself. Trust your heart. What could happen? Notice verse 18. But he does not know who's he. Him who lacks sense. Um, That guy. He does not know when he stops in his way and listens to folly and says, yeah, that's looking pretty good right now. He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. That's the grave. So it looks great on the outside. It's got a bunch of neon signs and it's fantastic. But the minute you open the door, you realize you're in a mausoleum. So two invitations couldn't be more different, but by appearances, they're the same. And that's part of what Proverbs is telling us. Solomon is saying to us, the way of wisdom and the way of folly can look an awful lot alike. They're both offering something on the basis of a pleasure principle. They're both saying, this will be good for you. It's what you really want. And they are both talking to the same audience, the simple, and they are talking to him who lacks sense, verse 4 and verse 16. Everything is identical on the surface except the meaning of the boarding call and the direction these two trains are going. One is going to life, verse 6, leave your simple ways and live. The other is leading to death, verse 18. Folly's guests are in the depths of the grave. They're dead. So, the only question is, How can we tell in real time in the marketplace when you're engaged doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, how can you tell these two apart? Uh, Young people, I want to say something to you in particular. You're heading into an America that gives you no help with this. In fact, everything is lined up on the side of folly. Everything. The whole way our peer groups, the whole way social media, the whole way Netflix, the whole way uh, movies are telling us how to live, the entire way is folly. And the invitation is, you're just like us. Come along with us. Here's your job. Your job is to be able to tell the difference between the invitation of wisdom and the invitation of folly. And there's only one way to do that job, if, and we'll see this in a moment. But the, the basic point of this is you must know God. You have to have Him living in you or else there is no way to tell the difference between wisdom and folly, because they look so much alike. And the fact is, if you're a survivor, you can go in the way of folly, 
a long, long time. And you can tough it out. You can bluff your way through. And you can look very successful. But the fact is, at, at, uh, at the last day, when you come to the grave, you will meet the one person in the universe who cannot be fooled, who you cannot bluff, and that's God. And that day is coming. So you, you either know him now, young people, or you're going to know him later. Know him now. Find this out now. Build your life this way now. Let's take another step into this and let's ask the question, how do you discriminate between the way of wisdom and the way of folly? So, I deliberately chose that word discriminate to be annoying because in our society there's no more horrible thing that you can do than to discriminate. Discrimination is bad, right? Well, yes, when you're discriminating unfairly, using double standards to keep some people out and to deny them advantages that they should otherwise have, sure, discrimination is bad. Everybody can agree on that. But there's a history to words, and words mean things, and we need this word. Discrimination is basically just telling the difference between two things that can look very similar. So when you've got an invitation from wisdom and you've got an invitation from folly and the whistles sound identical and they're both trains and you're there in the train station, you're trying to decide which train do I get on, you're going to have to have the skill of discrimination. You're going to have to be able to say that is the wrong train, and this is the right one. So we need this word, and uh, so uh, we're, we're using it here. How do you discriminate between these two invitations from folly and wisdom? Well, you'll notice we skipped a bunch of verses, verses 7 through 12. We just jumped right over those and, and went from verse 6 to verse 13 to compare these two invitations. What, what are verses 7 through 12, and why are they there? These are a series of puzzles. And if you can solve the puzzles, then you can discriminate and tell the difference between wisdom on the one hand and folly on the other. Here's the first puzzle. Verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. What is this talking about? Well, you've just had an invitation from the woman Wisdom and she's going out into all of the public places and she's saying to the simple and to those who lack sense, leave your simple ways and live. You know what that is? It's correction. 
That's wisdom going out and saying, the, the route you're taking is the route of naivete, simplicity, and even perhaps rebellion against what is right. Leave that way because it only leads to death. Follow me, come to my feast, eat the meal that I've prepared for you, and you will have the way of life, the way of insight. That's correction. Now, who here likes to be corrected? Uh, Gay, you get the prize. (laughs) So I I will correct you uh, uh, early and often. Nobody likes to be corrected. You don't like to be called out for an error that you've made. Uh, You don't like uh, somebody saying, no, wrong. You don't like that. Because it's kind of humiliating. It makes us look foolish. It's a setback. So what do we want? We want to look in control, polished, like we got it all together and we've got this. So we don't like correction. So here comes wisdom with correction. And the first puzzle here in these three verses, verses 7 through 9, is basically saying, which person are you? Who are you going to listen to inside yourself? The person who is admitting that he needs wisdom and insight or she needs wisdom and insight or the person who's bluffing and trying to get through this without getting called out or getting caught in any errors. Which person are you going to listen to? The confessor or the bluffer? Well, verses 7 through 9 are saying, here's how you tell. If you correct a scoffer, you will get abuse. Is that you? When people correct you, what is your response? Is it to lash out? Reverse the, the correction? Cast blame? Um, respond angrily? To argue your case? To be defensive? This is saying whoever corrects a scoffer will get himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Is that you? If so then your ability to hear the invitation from wisdom is impaired because wisdom comes with correction. So when wisdom comes saying, you know, that path isn't going to lead you in the right way, change your path and go this way. The response of a scoffer is, huh, I'm not going to do that. I like my way. I'm just going to keep right on going just to make you mad. That's the scoffer in us. So, but then it says this. Do not reprove a scoffer, verse 8, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. You that person? You the person who, when someone corrects what you're doing, your response is not to get defensive, scoff, cast blame, any of those things, it's just to say, you're right. I didn't realize that. And thank you, because this is going to save me a lot of trouble. If that's your response, this is saying 
you are well equipped to tell the difference between the invitation from wisdom and the invitation from folly. Because when wisdom comes with correction, you're saying, hey, that's good stuff. That's going to help me. Actually, that's exactly what I was looking for. Because when you give correction to a wise man, when you reprove him, when you say, stop it, he loves you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. You realize what this is saying? This is saying that the wise and the righteous, according to Proverbs, are just simple people who know they are simple and who admit it. And anytime they get fed wisdom, they scarf it down. They can't get enough of it and they want more. And to those very imperfect people who may be blundering through life, who maybe have done dangerous things, who've realized, I'm on the wrong train. I've got to get off of this one. I've got to get on the other one. Those people are righteous and wise just by that alone. So the first way that we tell the difference between the invitation of wisdom and that of folly is we look into ourselves and ask this question. How do I respond to correction? If wisdom comes to me with a correction, do I respond with scoffing and abuse or do I respond by saying, thank you, that's what I was looking for. I'm going to do it right now and I'll be back for more. Second way that we discriminate between wisdom and folly. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hopefully you're saying, that sounds awfully familiar. Haven't we heard that verse before? Hasn't, it seems like that has come up in Proverbs before. Go back to chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So when you look at chapter 1, you turn the pages over and you look at chapter 9, you realize we are at the end here of the first whole section of the book of Proverbs. The first third of the book. A bunch of song lyrics about the beauty and glory and life-giving power of wisdom. And the song begins with this refrain, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the song ends on the same refrain, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon's telling us something here by repeating this at the beginning and at the end of this section. In chapter 10 and following, we're into then the individual Proverbs uh, that are collected by Solomon and the people who came after him. So, we're not going to re-preach what we've said about the fear of the Lord. This is just saying, if you want to distinguish between the invitation of wisdom in your life and the invitation of folly in your life, you have to have that sense of proportion that says, God is glorious. God is wise. God is life-giving. And he's open to me. And so out of reverence, reverence for his awesomeness, 
I will follow him and I will do what he says. That's the kind of fear that this is talking about. You say, how does that fit with the pleasure principle that you were talking about before? Well, it's very simple. It's a paradox. It's something that starts out one way and then flips. When you start out in the fear of the Lord, you learn who He is, you gain His grace and His mercy and His power, then you start to, to have that fear growing in love for who He is. And when that starts to happen, you start to enjoy God for who He is in His glory, in His wisdom, in His beauty, in His power, in His mercy, in His justice. And you start to take in these things. They become more pleasurable to you than the other things that you used to take pleasure in. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all of this. It's just hitting reset on what matters in your life, on what is Big in your life. Is God big in your life? If he is, and if he's not an idol, but he's the real God, the living God in Jesus Christ, if it's that God, then life starts to open up and the feast begins, a feast that enriches us and pleases us with the ways of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Let me just give one short example of this. If you fear the Lord, one of the things you're going to constantly refer to are the Ten Commandments. Because these are the most basic expressions of what the Lord says. This is what you are to do and this is what you are not to do. What do the Ten Commandments say about stealing? Very simple, don't. Thou shalt not steal. That belongs to somebody else. It doesn't belong to you. It's their property. So if it's their property, don't take it and claim that it belongs to you. That's stealing. So here comes Folly, the woman Folly, and her invitation. She says to him who lacks sense, verse 17, stolen water is sweet. You'll like this better just because it's transgressive. If you fear the Lord, it's automatic. I don't have to think about this. I don't have to entertain this. Stealing, no. The answer is no. And those who go straight on their, on their way as folly is sitting there calling to those who pass by. And she says, hey, the stolen stuff is better. Then you just keep going because you are able to discriminate between one invitation and the other. You recognize sin when you see it. Really, the fear of the Lord is the basis of all of that. Um, one more way that we gain this kind of power to discriminate, verses 11 and 12. Um, I'm sorry, uh, I, I skipped verse 11. This is an extension of the verse about the fear of the Lord, and it actually makes the point that I was trying to make a minute ago even better. Um, fear the Lord, knowledge of the Holy One is insight, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. 
It's good for you. It extends your life. Uh, Verse 12. This passage ends, and this whole section of Proverbs ends on a note of responsibility. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So, let's just think about the implications of that for the time we're living in. Everything in our culture is telling you what to do. Nothing could be easier than to go with the flow of the mainstream. Nothing could be simpler. Just do what they do. Follow them. Blend in with them. You won't get hurt. The only way you're going to get hurt is by standing against where the mainstream is going. You're going to get run over if you do that. We are people today who want to be told what to do. We want someone else to make our decisions for us and to announce to us what those decisions are so that we don't have to go through the agony of saying to God, I don't know what to do. And I have these decisions to make, and they are my responsibility. You've given them to me, and no one is going to take this responsibility from me. I've got to make this decision, but I don't know what to do. This decision, these, these situations are too much for me. They're too hard. I don't understand them. I can't get my hands around them. No one wants to go through the agony of doing that. We just want a Christian parenting book to give us the method for parenting and it will tell us what to do and we'll just do that so that we don't have to actually go through the agony of thinking this through in relation to our real kids. We just want the, the quick sermon to give me a little inspiration for how I can stay positive. And that's how I'm going to get through the week. Just tell me what to do, I'll do that, and we're good. Because we don't want to go through the agony of dealing with a life that is full of negative things. We just want to keep telling ourselves happy stories and singing happy songs. We want someone to take away the decision-making from us. And what Solomon is here saying is, no one will. The decision is yours. So what's it going to be? Wisdom or folly? You know, one of the scandals of the age we're living in, and young people, I, I hope you'll, you'll take this in. For the last 50 years, young people, the church has been trying, not just this church, every church in the United States has been trying to make it easy for you to be a Christian. Here, we'll do it for you. Just do this. 
Get this bumper sticker. Buy this t-shirt. Listen to this band. Go with these people. This will solve your problem. When you have this problem, pray this. Here's a gimmick for that. Just follow these three simple steps. It's so easy. Young people, this will not be done for you. It is on your heart, it is on your conscience to follow the Lord. You are called to do this. And even as I say this, I look at what's happening in our country. I look at the the degradation of our culture. And for me to say to you, this is the call. This is it on your life. And no one can take it from you. You have to make this decision. For me to say that feels like cruelty. Because I know and every adult knows the horrors of the world out there and the terrible things that are going on. There are wars. There are injustices. We are in a society that has basically standardized sin and crime. And here we are saying, this is the world you're living in. Now go live in it. And learn to discriminate between the call of wisdom and the call of folly. It sounds horrible, because in a way it is horrible. But, in another way, it's liberating. Because young people, you can do this by the grace and power of God. God is good. If you know Him, if you fear Him, if you love Him, He will lead you through this. And He will show you the differences between wisdom and folly. But to come to verse 12 and back off from this, is really to back away from the whole point of the book of Proverbs. You are the decision maker and no one can do this for you. Deal with God. Call upon Him. Go to His feast and eat what He has prepared for you because it's good and it will empower you. And we are all with you in the decisions that you face. We are the company traveling with you toward wisdom. And we will be loyal to you as you make these decisions, because we all have the same decisions to make. But no one is going to do this for us. God has called us to do this. A couple of points of evaluation, and then we'll take questions. First um, prayerful question I'd like you to ask that we get right to the heart of this is uh, something we've already asked. Do I deflect correction. I hear 
correction coming at me, I get my lightsaber out and I just whack it away. It doesn't touch me. I never feel it because I deflect it. Second question. Am I actively choosing and deciding on the path of my life? Or are you trusting somehow that God is going to send you a neon sign with what to do? Are you looking for magic tricks to tell you what to do? Uh, what, what are you trusting to make your decisions? Or are you actively embracing the fact that you are the decision maker in your life and by the power of God, you can choose to follow His wisdom? We're just too passive. Our Christianity is the atrophied Christianity of those who have not been exercising their spiritual muscles for decades, if at all. That can change. And if it does, a whole lot changes in our country. But we have to switch from being people who deflect correction to being people who receive it. We have to switch from being passive people who want others to make decisions for us to being the people who say, no, this is my decision. And I know God's word. And I know godly people. And I will make this call by the grace of God. Well, this thing was lighting up here while I was talking, so... Um, okay. How do I maintain the motivation of delight in God when the people around me are motivated by and trying to motivate me using guilt, criticism, and fear? That's a big one. You want to be motivated to serve the Lord for the right reasons, but everyone around you is sending you guilt, criticism, and fear. You need to go straight to verse 12 of Proverbs chapter 9. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. There is, in a sense, a separation that needs to occur between us and the people around us, where we reach the point where we say, I heard you, I understand what you're trying to say to me, but this is the course I am on with God. The scriptures are showing me that I need to do these things. So I am going to do that over and out. Sometimes you have to say that to a person who loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's just not God. They've got it all worked out. Who you need to be and what you need to do and how you need to act and and all of these things. There is a point where you need to say to that person, I'm following God, not you. Stop trying to be my conscience. Um, Now, there's a big difference between saying that and deflecting correction. Thank you. When we're deflecting correction, we're not responding at all to the fact that Scripture calls us to live a certain way, and here it is, and you're not doing it. 
uh, when, when we hear something like that, we need to respond openly. But guilt, fear, criticism, all of these kinds of things. If, if there's a godly person in your life bringing the scriptures to bear on how you need to function and who is correcting you, that is going to come with help, love, and patience. That's what it's going to be characterized by. Uh, if it is not characterized by that, you need to switch out counselors uh, so that, uh, that uh, they are directing you uh, in uh, the right direction. Okay, uh, keep going here. I find it interesting how the enemy tries to imitate God. Folly gives the same invitation trying to imitate wisdom. Is Jesus' invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight and following similar to wisdom's invitation? Let's look at this very quickly. Um, Matthew 11, verse 28. Is this similar with wisdom's invitation in Proverbs 9? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Yes. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yes, straight up. That's Proverbs. That's Jesus saying, Eat at my feast. Good observation. Okay. Is folly the scoffer? I notice that folly doesn't prepare anything. Uh, That's an interesting observation. Yes, short answer. Folly is the scoffer. The scoffer is, is improvising and bluffing his way through life or her way through life. And uh, so that's a, a big part of... And the scoffer part is just saying, I hope no one notices uh, that that's what I'm doing. Um, am I allowed to scoff at Folly's correction? What a great question. Works for me. I like it. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis made the observation that uh, when he wrote the screw tape letters, he said the one thing that the devil cannot stand is to be mocked. Um, and I actually think that irony, sarcasm, and all of these things are good tools to wage spiritual warfare against the call of folly. The Bible does. You ever read that picture of an idolater uh, chopping down a tree and with one half of it he builds wood for the fire and the other half of the same wood, same tree, he uh, carves an idol and bows down to it. Uh, That's satire. That's scoffing. So have at it. Go for it. Uh, Just be sure what you're scoffing at. Um, What can you do for a brother or sister in Christ who deflects correction? Nothing. I don't know. There is no other answer to that question. 
if they're going to deflect correction, that means whatever you say to them is not going in. This is going to meet resistance. Um, there is a time to say what needs to be said in spite of that resistance. There is also a time to say, I've made my point over and out. Um, and as I, as I say that, if, if you're someone who deflects correction, just mark how serious that is. Is God silent to you? There may be a reason. Uh, and, and that's because he speaks through his people and through his word. And there's going to be an element of correction in there. Uh, so note that one. Um, okay. Uh, last, last couple of questions. Correction can be given in a gentle and caring manner that is really helpful. However, oh, okay, uh, Gay is, is clarifying her position on being corrected. Uh, <laughs> she's, she said, I thought you had asked, who likes to be correct? And so she does. And you are. I, so... <laughs> Good point about uh, correction coming with gentleness and uh, being helpful. Uh, also, God has a great sense of humor. Sometimes the sting of his correction is neutralized by uh, us laughing instead of feeling crushed. Good advice there. That is correct. Um, how do you know you are doing what verse 12 says? Verse 12, back in Proverbs 9, and this will be our last question this morning. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. How do you know you are taking responsibility for your decisions? If you have spent your life pushing decisions off onto other people, you will know when you are changing course by the abject terror that strikes you when you take a decision in your hands and you say, I am going to make this decision and I'm not going to go with what somebody else tells me to do. Um, that would be one indicator. And, and what I would say is um, the antidote... To that kind of terror is faith and hope and love for God, fear of the Lord. He's got this even when we don't. So if we make a mistake, we make the wrong decision. If we blunder through something and it doesn't go as well as we would like, at least you made a decision trusting the Lord. And that's a powerful thing. And so that faith and hope starts to outweigh the fear of making decisions. Um, so that, that would be what I would uh, say about that. There's, there's a lot more we could say about all of these questions. They are all phenomenal, uh, but we have to end there.